I'm Sam Kiefer. I'm Beck Hill. And this is Enemy in Paris. I am Trey Excite to be here. Hi, Beck. Bonjour, Sam. Bonjour. And bonjour, everyone listening. Hello. If you've been with us from the start, we're at episode seven. Forgot to mention, there's only 10 episodes per season. Yeah. So we're almost done with season one. We're getting close. If you've been with us from the start, God help you. Yeah, 10 episodes. That's much more European, isn't it? You don't tend to get. Yeah, American sitcoms, there's like, there can be 22 episodes per season sometimes. But I'll tell you what, when you're shooting in, a, in another location and every episode features a ridiculous amount of designer clothing that doesn't match, mm-hmm. then, you know, I guess you can only afford 10 episodes. And each place has 30 to 40 locations that you have to go to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and oh boy, I've done some more location breakdowns. Really? Okay. Well, how are you, by the way? I'm really good. I'm I'm in a great mood. Good. I've booked my flights back to LA. Yes, you'll be back March. Yeah, March 13th yes. through the something, I think. 15th. March 15th. To early April. That's incredible. Looking yeah. forward to seeing you again. Looking forward to showing you all of Los Angeles that you didn't get to see last time. Ooh. Yeah, I've got a list. Okay, good. What's on the list? Magic Castle. Magic Castle is a good one. Disneyland. Disneyland is a good one, sure. I mean, I love that we do a show that is making fun of like tourists and stereotypes. And then yeah. I'm like, oh, what are all the other touristy things I didn't do last time? <laughs> True. <laughs> but we were also talking about, because they've started announcing the guest list for the next Brussels Comic Con that happens twice a year and I'll be hosting in May. So you'll be hosting again this year? I assume. It's kind of a given. I say this, I realize that this is like before Pride comes a fall. No, Mm -hmm. after Pride comes a fall. At some point, there's a fall. At some point, there's a fall, Sam. I think it's right after Pride comes the fall. Yeah, that makes more sense. Either way, you're due. You're due to fall. I'm due a fall any time now, Sam. But they do two a year, and every time we start to get close, and then I email them, and I'm like, "Uh, should my diary be penciled? Like, do I need to? And they're like, oh, yeah, 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 of course. You're hosting. And I'm like, oh, okay. I love a gig where you have to remind them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, it's because they... For the last few years, they're just like, it's a given that you're hosting. But I, yeah. I don't like to look a gift horse in the mouth. And I'm always a bit like, oh, I'll wait till you come and tell me for sure. Well, I look forward to coming out and seeing you again. Yeah, well, because they've been announcing the lineup. Yes, there's a lot of Lord of the Rings people this year. Yeah, which you're very excited about. I very, very much am. But I want to bring my big titty Gandalf costume. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I look forward to flying with that. Are you going to wear it while you fly? I think I might. I might as well. The security at the airport will have such a fun time checking Yeah. In. So Big Titty Gandalf is a meme that I saw years ago that it's just someone, it's just as simple as it sounds. Someone has Photoshopped Gandalf to have large, voluptuous breasts. Oh, yes. And it made me laugh so hard. And it's one of those where, you know how the internet will go in phases where you'll see the same meme every five months for 10 years? Mm-hmm. Like, it, it'll just come back in fashion. I see that probably once every two months. And now every time people see it, they send it to me. And every time I laugh, every time I immediately save it to my phone and I text it to all my friends and I go, do you get it? And they go, yeah, we get it, buddy. And I go, I don't think you do. Otherwise, you'd be laughing much harder. I mean, there's not much to get, is there? No, here's the thing, though. He has large breasts. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
You're so, you're genuinely you're uh, so entertained by it's, this. Here's it's the thing: adorable. he has large breasts, and it's perfect. And we have to check Sam because we're very clear on what is and isn't a meme on this show. Okay. So what makes it a meme? is the fact that it's not like just the one picture, is it? Like everyone started photoshopping other yes. pictures of Gandalf. Yes, 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 yes. It became a small subculture around the picture of people sharing it and photoshopping themselves in. People printing it out and bringing it to their weddings, which I think is really, really nice. Because we were discussing this, because Gav was asking after the last episode, he's like, what is a meme, though? Like, how is that different to, you know, like Mindy with a zip going across her mouth from the last episode mm-hmm. of Emily in Paris, which of which gift. this show is about, and we will get to soon. But <laughs> but yeah. when she's got the zip going across her mouth, we, we were pointing out that's not a meme, it's just a gif. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to explain that I think, uh, like, there's it's about the culture that surrounds it and the ownership that people take of that and the way they apply it to other things. So, for instance, there's that Star Wars meme with Anakin and uh, Natalie Portman, Padawan. Yes. Is that her name? No. Pad- Padme. Padman? Sorry. Padme? Oh, yeah. my. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, fool. Star Wars nerds. You simple fool. <laughs> They're not listening to this. So, <laughs> I love that crossover, though. Look, don't come for me if you're into Star Wars and Emily in Paris. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm on your side, guys. There's that meme where it's, you know, the frames Hayden of Hayden Christensen looking at her and then her looking back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, the, the, the formula of the joke is something along the lines of, like, there'll be plenty of cereal left over by the morning, right? Right? And, mm-hmm. you know, they'll share it in some cereal lovers group on Facebook and everyone will be like, yes. ha, 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 we love yeah. cereal. Um, and so... Take that cereal lovers group on Facebook. Take, I, the problem is, I told you I'm not a strong improviser. So, <laughs> so that's like an example because then that's an image where everyone sort of took ownership of that thing and started applying their own jokes to the same formula. Same with um, jealous girlfriend boy or boyfriend meme that one but then gav pointed out like what about the one of the dog where everything's on fire and he's just saying this is fine Mm -hmm. because a lot of the time like sometimes people do put pictures of you know they might put someone else's face over the dog or something like that but sometimes it's just that picture and you would still probably classify that picture as a meme and i think it's because i don't know that i would you wouldn't i don't know that i would no i think that would just be an internet picture my argument was that if you were to put that cartoon in an article and someone were to come across that article and they had absolutely no, let's say it's an article on neuroscience and you have absolutely no idea about neuroscience, but if you saw that picture in there immediately, it gives you an idea of the context of the article. You're like something, this article's got something to do with the fact that a big thing is being ignored and everyone's acting like it's fine. And I feel like memes that memes are very translatory like they're really good at getting across an idea or a feeling i think memes are probably the most important way of communication of our generation for sure i mean i don't know if it goes that far but i would would. say they play a huge role yeah but also you know you're a you're like one step away from being an elon musk boy and i say that as someone who made a musical flip chart well well, hold on a minute how am i how am i one step away from being an elon musk boy because you're a meme lord i'm not a meme lord yeah you are you, you send Gandalf, big titty Gandalf pictures all the time and that you're, you think it's hilarious because he's got boobs. He, here's the thing, though. He has giant boobs. You don't get it. 
All right, let's get into the episode. All right, let's start. We open on Emily walking. Now, okay, I want you to know that a couple times this show has gotten me so good. Darren Starr's writing, his terrible writing has gotten me so good that I'm beginning to second guess myself. And like we opened on Emily walking and I I wrote down, I wrote, have we fully given up on her jogging intros because this is supposed to imply that Emily is slowly losing her American smiley go-getterness and is becoming more French? And then I was like, no, it's just lazy writing. <laughs> but for like two seconds, I was like, oh, I think I see what they're going for here. So I'm just <laughs> affording them things that aren't even happening now. so she bumps into sylvie who's shopping before work emily asks her where she's headed and sylvie tells her to mind her own business which emily just takes in cheeky stride again it bothers me so much that she's not one bit like this woman doesn't like me i'm gonna give her some space no i i mean i'm i'm the sort of person that just i push my friendship on people I force my friendship on people. if someone doesn't want to be my friend immediately i will make them my friend eventually Some of my closest friends are people who hated me originally. That's infuriating. I know. And look at us. That's a terrible personality trait. You are Emily. Yeah. And slowly, (laughs) I'm going to be your number one bestie. All right. Then she invites herself into this 40A party hosted by an American actress. She says she should be utilizing the American in their office. It feels off to me. Like if there was a famous Mexican artist coming into Sirius XM and I went to another engineer and I was like, hey, you're Mexican. Why don't you take this one? I would expect the response to be, hey, what the f***? But it'd be different if the Mexican guy went to you and said, hey, I should take this one because I'm Mexican. Even that, I would be like, this is a bit, feels a bit weird. It feels a bit on the line, racist. It feels too close to being racist. No, I disagree. I think I think you can trust someone of the same culture to to be a good point of contact. Yeah, but you wouldn't be like, hey, you're black, this guy's black, you're teamed up. Well, look, if Sylvie was saying, you're an American, she's American, you should look after her, I think you've got an argument. But mm, this is the other way around. I don't buy it. It's too close. It's too close. I can I can taste it in my mouth. We've gone in real devil's advocate already, haven't we? Yeah. So we cut to the office where uh, Julian has actress Brooklyn Clark's itinerary and talking points for her. So she's coming to town to just wear the watch for a night. It seems like a pretty shitty promo for the watch. Yeah, yeah. When we were in the office, she's like reading this press release. I paused on it to take a look. Okay, what did it say? It's very basic copy. Mm -hmm. I can only hope that it's not one that Emily's written. But it points out that Brooklyn Clark's known for Maid of Dishonor, which they mention later. Yes. And Shelby in the City of 420 Planets is the name of another film. And I was like, what a strangely specific name for a film. And then I realized the film Valerian with Cara Delvine and uh, sure. you know, I remember it had Rihanna in it and stuff in it. Mm-hmm. The full title of that I'd forgotten is Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. Sure. And which is also Luc Besson film, who okay. he is a problematic man, but directed my favorite film, The Fifth Element. So it's a nice little nod to a French filmmaker. You think that's on purpose or you're doing what I'm doing, which is you're now affording the writers connections that don't exist? No, no, no. Hear me out. Okay. So it's called Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. The one in the press release that Emily's looking at is Shelby in the City of 420 Planets. 420 Planets. He's gone in for a weed gag. Sure. And then this little detective was like, I bet you that Shelby is the name of Darren Starr's dog. Okay. And I did some research. And I couldn't find the name of Darren Starr's 
dog specifically, mm-hmm. but I managed to find a photo from an event that was um, Darren Star with someone else, and then it said Anne Shelby, and Darren Star is holding a dog in it, and I was like, yes, I knew yeah. it, I knew okay. it, I called it. I'll put the photo on socials on the Enemy uh, Enemy in Paris Instagram. Very, very nice, Beck. Good so they've done a weed work. joke and has put his dog into this dumb film name. <laughs> Julian then tells Emily that Sylvie's headed to St. Bart's with Antoine next week. Just put a pin in that. It's going to come up later. Luke walks up and isn't impressed that Emily is hanging out with Brooklyn Clark. He tells her that American movie endings are so dishonest. Now, that's a real common complaint amongst American films in France. I know that. American films are seen to be about the plot. French films are about the characters. Someone online wrote, The screenplay writer is stuck in his writing. The American one asks himself, What can my character do to make the action progress? The French one asks himself, being who he is, what will my character do in this situation? Hollywood essentially narrates stories. French cinema essentially narrates people. Yeah. In fact, we had a message from Michelle. Hi, Michelle. Michelle says, I love Luke's discussion about the French ending in episode seven. As a French teacher, I'm often showing French films to my students when I can find PG ones, and they are always devastated by the endings. They always expect an American wrap-up and plot resolution, and this is a thing the French cannot stand. It's too simple and vapid. They'd rather be left wondering about the gray areas of life than handed a simple answer. The endings are often open-ended and or tragic. What Luke is saying is a real thing and I have to coach my students through it all the time. Watch Parapluie. Oh, this is embarrassing because Michelle literally said, if you ever need help pronouncing anything on the show, let me know. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, uh, I was like, that's amazing. Thank you. And then I never asked how to pronounce this. Parapluie de Chabourg. And see what I mean. Yeah, we'll have to reach out when we need pronunciation help, which will be often. <laughs> and then Julian says, happy endings are very American. And Emily says, but they give you hope. The hero wins in the end. Don't you want to see the hero win? And we're, this is an incredible moment, I think. Uh, we're given this incredible snapshot into Emily's childlike brain. She's basically stuck as a 10-year-old, hoping for a happy ending each time and unable to process when something doesn't have one. That's her major character flaw. When someone goes, hey, get out of here. I got this. She goes, no, I'm going to help. I'm going to make sure you have a happy ending. <laughs> she needs everyone to have happy endings around oh, her. Oh, no. She's like a character oh. from Big. This is you, isn't it? I don't like this picture. This you is don't you. Tag me in this picture. It's oh, this is so close to the bone. My friend Jim, for mm-hmm. years, has always joked that he thinks that I am living out the plot to Big. He's yep. like, I'm like because we'll be out walking, and then I'll be like, Oh, it's such a nice day. We should fly a kite. And then he's like, Where would we get a kite? And I'll have one in my bag. Sure. And he's like, You are literally like I once we were. We were playing pool at like 2 a.m. in a mm. bar. And then I was like, do you want some baby bells? Which is like the little cheese. Cheeses. Yeah. Yeah, that you give to children. Yeah. And he was like, why do you have cheese in your pocket? And I was yep. like, because it's a delicious snack. Yeah, the more this podcast goes on, the more we realize you are Emily. This show is missing a pivotal scene in the season one before she was jogging. It should have shown her she's eight years old and she's being bullied and she hides behind a Zoltar machine and she prays to be big and French. So then she could stand up to the bullies and then it's struck by lightning and then it cuts to her in Paris jogging and we go, oh, I see you've been transported into an adult's body. And it gets a little meta because this thing that they're describing is what's happening with you and I and this show. You and I, as the viewers of this show, we want the French ending. 
That's what is so frustrating mm. for us is that we want repercussions for Emily's actions. We want tragedy of seeing how Emily Cooper's actions would affect her life, her pain. And we don't get that. We only get these neat little wrapped up each episode, tidy wrappings. Yeah, you're so right. It's not just that, but we never see things go bad for Emily. Like she takes a risk. As people, we like to, well, especially as people in the Westerns, like English speaking countries, there's very much a idea of, I want to know that even if I make mistakes, that it's going to be okay. Or maybe the problem is that I'm just not confident enough. And if yes. you show confidence, you'll be rewarded for it rather than, you know, know your place. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Luke says, uh, you know, in French films, uh, it dies or loses a limb or she prefers to be a lesbian, which happens. Now, I want to put a pin in that. I, I'm, we're not going to come back to it in this episode. We're not going to come back to it for quite a while, but I'm putting a pin in that. Let it be known. Insert pin, pin noise there. So we cut to the hotel where Emily's meeting Brooklyn. Again, Emily is stuck in a 10-year-old brain. When she meets Brooklyn, she asks Emily for weed, and Emily responds like a child with, no, actually, marijuana is highly illegal in France. Yeah, cannabis use is illegal in France, but despite its illegal status, marijuana is a widely used drug, with some sources citing the country's population amongst the largest consumers of cannabis worldwide. But in possession of cannabis has been somewhat decriminalized in France, with minor offenders potentially being served with fines. So... Yes, she was asked something illegal, but she responds like an absolute child. She, we only have two modes for Emily Cooper. That's sexual deviant and pearl clutching. She's the the wealthy dowager that the Three Stooges would throw a pie at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's just coming in the room being like, oh my God, well, I've never. <laughs> well, before we get any further into the scene, I've got a location breakdown. Okay. Doo, 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 doo. So we're at the Hotel Plaza Athenae. In the 8th arrondissement, it's part of the Dorchester collection of luxury hotels. And if anyone's thinking the outside looks familiar, it's the same hotel that Carrie stays in in the final season of Sex and the City. Okay, got it. Interesting. It's not the same room, though. I did a little digging and found that the room that Brooklyn's in appears to be like their top-of-the-range room. Okay. It's called the Haute Couture Eiffel Suite, and it costs... Mm. Guess how much it costs, Sam? I'm going to guess... Per night. 15000 Higher. 17000 Higher. 19000 Yeah, it's like 18900 wow. a night or something. Which is roughly 20000 American dollars. Yeah, that's yeah, crazy. Yeah, it's like just over 20 USD. And that's per night? Yeah, unbelievable. That's per night. Jeez. That's insane. Yeah, how the other half live. Yeah, right? I also have a few other things to say about mm -hmm. this reception scene. First of all, the first thing I wrote was, this Kango bucket hat. Now, Ugh. I know that it becomes a point later in the episode, but it still infuriates me. I don't know if they intended to make it horrific and stand out awfully or if it was meant to be like a stylish bucket hat. Either way, I hate it. I think it's supposed to be cute. I hate it. I hate it Me so too. much. It, it it clashes. It it looks like it doesn't fit on her head. She's got such a tiny head. How does mm -hmm. she make hats look smaller than that? I don't understand. <laughs> the other thing is we have another snooty front of house person. Yep. Like it's a receptionist. Who's another like... Uh, yeah, it makes me wonder if Darren Starr, how he is to customer service people, if this is his relation to how people treat him that so much so that he writes it, how is he to people? Because years ago, my mom had this issue where she would always be like, 
I just get terrible customer service. And I remember her saying that a lot growing up, but it wasn't until I was an adult and could witness her with adult eyes before I had to pull her aside and be like, hey, what's the common denominator here? If everywhere you go, every single person is rude to you, what's the common denominator? It's you. You have to look at how you're talking to people because she could be very short with people and very snippy, but she didn't realize it. She could only mm. see their other side. And she's much better now. Everything's wonderful. Oh, that's good. That's nice. It makes me wonder how Darren Starr, if this is how he perceives everyone in France is, how was his time in France? He went over there. He acted like a total dickhead. Everyone was a dickhead <laughs> back to him. And he just clutched his pearls and was like, oh. Can you believe how everyone's treating me? Yeah, possibly. Who knows? Uh, do you know what? This makes so much more sense now as to why you didn't. You don't want to sleep with people when they're bad to hospitality staff. You're goddamn right. <laughs> yeah, they remind you too much of your mom. That's right. And your mom also has a massive frame poster of Fight Club. Yeah, my mom is Tyler Durden. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she just wants to watch the world burn. Mm-hmm. That's Batman, by the way. Oh, damn it. Jesus. It's the Did Dark I not Knight. say that again at the end? No. Or have I just conflated that with the fact that they're literally watching everything burn? Yeah, at and the end? then you took Michael Caine's quote of some men just want to watch the world burn from the Dark Knight and you superimposed it. Well, it still makes sense. I sure. stand by it. Great. I apologize for nothing. This is my film and it's my happy American <laughs> ending. Good, good, good. I've also written in my notes that the receptionist looks like a French Pee Wee Herman. Yes, he does, which makes me love him. Yeah, I'm going to post a comparison photo on, on Instagram. Great. Another thing which happens in this scene, Brooklyn refers to the receptionist as Ratatouille, which is the second Ratatouille reference we've had this season. Yes. Makes me wonder if the only point of reference for France that the writers have is Ratatouille. Yes, I like to picture the writer's room. They just have different countries up on a whiteboard. It says America, it says France, and then it's just post-it notes of things they think have happened there. No one's <laughs> yeah, actually yeah. been there. They were like, oh, Normandy. Oh, we stormed that, right? Yeah, have her say that to them. Yeah, put Saving Private Ryan on the post-it. Yeah, exactly. So Brooklyn Clark uses the alias Marie Curie or Marie Callender, mm -hmm. and she says, which one's pie? I was going to look up what it is or who Marie Callender is, but then I realized that me explaining to you what that is would be pointless. So can you explain it to me? I can. Marie Callender is a company that makes delicious frozen pies. You would get one, have it thaw during your dinner, and then at the end you would, I don't know, pretend you made it or whatever the scam is supposed to be. Oh, like a, a dessert pie, a sweet pie. Yes, exactly. I think they do mostly cheesecakes. That gets me every time. Every time. Cause, well, what gets you every time? Because Americans tend to... You guys don't tend to have savory pies. No, we're not big meat pie people. That's disgusting. Yeah, and meat pie is such an Aussie, like, meat pie, meat pie, yeah. ugh, meat pie. It's not the 1800s anymore. No one has to eat that way, so we've moved on from meat pies. This isn't Sweeney Todd. <laughs> In Australia, it's just like mystery brown. Like, it's just wet ugh. brown. You ugh. don't know. It tastes amazing, but yeah, it I'm is sure. just like, it's so liquidy. Um, and then in the UK, it's like a proper, like, big bits of sure. big bits of beef and stuff. Steak and alpars. Yum, yum, yum. All right. Now, speaking of aliases, though, I'm going to play a little game with you. Let's roll. Here are some aliases that celebrities have used when checking into hotels. Uh -huh. And I want to see if you can guess what they are. The first one has a hint. The others I don't think you'll get. So, actually, the first, all I want to do is work out what the first one is. Who do you think checks into hotels as Mr. Woodpond? Mr. Woodpond. The clue's Pond. in the name. It's very, like, yeah, it's very wordplay. Uh, well, pond, I'm going to go lake. So, something lake. Yes. 
Good. Um, Justin Timberlake. Hey, there yeah, hey, All right. All right. Okay. Yeah, Timberwood. Nice work. Okay, nice thank work. you. Thank you. Uh, here are some others. Uh, Mila Kunis likes to check in as Senor Pants. Perfect. Nailed it. I seen your pants. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's very Simpsons. It is. Yeah. Can you see your pants? I seen mm-hmm. your pants. Kate Beckinsale sometimes checks in as Sigourney Beaver. God, that's incredible. That I love. A, we love a pun around here. We love a sexual pun. That's incredible. Yeah. Uh, Rob Schneider, everyone's favorite funny guy, who I actually have a story about because my friend opened. Uh, my friend was his support act. When he was gigging in London, like save it for Patreon. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to tell now. We don't have time on this episode, but at some point, I will. <laughs> I will tell everyone that we do have a Patreon page. By the way, I'll talk Great. about this more at the end of the episode. But we have a Patreon page. We haven't quite decided what the bonus content will be for our Patreon supporters. We sure. are asking you to tell us. But we have a Patreon page, and we would love it if people joined it. I will give sure. more details at the end of the episode. So Rob Schneider, he sometimes checks into hotels as Mr. and then N-A-Z-Z-O, not so good. Mm-hmm. Mr. Not, not so, so good. good. Perfect. <laughs> Which is the perfect level of humor that one would expect from Rob Schneider. And uh, my favorite one is Johnny Depp uh-huh. has been known to check into hotels as Mr. Drip Noodle. <laughs> Mr. Drip Noodle. I love Mr. that. Mr. Drip Noodle. Do you remember Mr. Noodle from Sesame Street? No, I don't. Or Elmo's World? Maybe it was Elmo's World. Mm-mm. But there's a great story about Mr. Noodle was like a clown that would show up and, you know, he'd be like, have a shoe and then he wouldn't know how to put it on. He'd be like, okay. put it on his head like a hat. Oh, uh, Mr. And Noodle. And then you'd Too hear wacky. Elmo's voice going, no, Mr. Noodle, not like that. <laughs> That's a good Elmo. It goes on your feet. And then he'd like <laughs> put it on his ear. Not like that, Mr. Noodle. Sure. There was this story during the rounds on the internet a while back where there was a traveling salesman who was staying in, you know, motels and stuff. Sure. And he would usually be up quite early to get you know, to get ahead of the day the next day. And so he wouldn't be able to hear stuff. But the TVs, like the only channel that they had, there was like only one channel that they could get on the TVs. This is obviously some time ago. Mm-hmm. And Elmo's World was playing in the morning. Yeah. And he was saying that he was like shaving in the bathroom one morning. And then he just heard someone yell through the wall, God damn it, Mr. Noodle. <laughs> really? <laughs> Which I guess they were just really frustrated. He couldn't put on his shoes. <laughs> I love it. So we enter Brooklyn's hotel room where Brooklyn gets into her underwear immediately. Now, we've been given a healthy amount of one-dimensional French characters, so it is only fair that the writers have given us a perfect one-dimensional, no-backstory, vapid L.A. character. (laughs) Other than Emily. I mean, she's not an L.A. character, but... They need another one-dimensional American. exactly. If you had a whole bingo card just for Brooklyn, it would be all the tropes. She's vapid. She's vain. She's dumb. She's very, very sexual. She's uh, she's perfectly L.A. Uh, We're not supposed to like Brooklyn. She's a one-dimensional character. Uh, The scene ends with Brooklyn saying she needs 15 minutes to masturbate after a long flight, which honestly, no complaints there. That tracks. And she refers to Emily as Bucket Hag because she's too lazy to learn her name, which will come up again later. I love it. As soon as she's like, all right, Bucket. When she mentioned Bucket Hat, I was like, oh, thank goodness. Yes. Thank goodness there is at least some reason for that hat in this episode. Mm-hmm. So we cut to Gabrielle's restaurant. Emily's dining with Mindy and Camille. Mindy says she can't believe Emily saw a maid of Dishonor's boobs. Mindy must be exhausted again because she's trade nasty. 
<laughs> I don't know. Uh, Gabriel joins the dinner. He doesn't have any work to do. He can just come by and sit down. It's only dinner service. It's only rush hour. Right. Yeah. So Gav and I went to have dinner at one of his friend's house this previous week, just gone. Mm-hmm. And the um, whole family are French. The kids are so adorable, but so French. Like they're all little French accents. They're wearing little striped pajamas. Sure. It was very stereotypical. They had good wine. It was exactly mm-hmm. everything you'd expect. Wonderful host. But he's a patisserie chef. And we were sat down around the table and I had to bide my time until I felt, because it was the first time me, that I'd met them. And eventually I was able to ask, okay, so have either of you seen Emily in Paris? Sure. And they were like, oh. <laughs> and so they'd seen, they'd, they'd both seen some of the first series, but they'd had to stop. And, he, and Roman, our host, he was like, it's just... I don't understand the chef. He could just come out and he sits with them during dinner time. Mm-hmm. Why isn't he busy? It's the busiest time at the restaurant. Like he was so mad. And I was like, excellent, yep. excellent. Yeah. I feel so vindicated. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Gabriel sits down. It's revealed that Gabriel's boss has offered to sell Gabriel the restaurant, but he would have to he would have to accept money from Camille, something he can't do with his ego, which I flip-flopped on, but ultimately I decided I, I am on Gabriel's position in this. He would forever be locked yeah, in with Camille then. I don't even take money from my own parents. I take money from your parents all the time. You take money from my yeah. parents? Mm-hmm. Well, your mom and I are going off to see Fight Club tomorrow, so oh, nah. Fuck. I knew it. We're going to be rude to so many white stuff. <laughs> okay, so then Emily invites everyone to the 40A Watch event. Camille and Mindy can't go. But Camille really almost sexually is like, take Gabriel with you. Make sure he has a good time. Everyone in this is a character from Big. Everyone is a child in an adult's body, just fumbling their way through adult sexuality. No one knows what to do. Yeah, why don't you take Gabriel with you? You should um, just like sleep with him. Yeah, I think you should. I think he would really enjoy that. Mm-hmm. Make him happy with your mouth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Before we cut to the next scene, I just had to say this: this scene is filmed inside the restaurant. I know we've had a few scenes inside the restaurant before, but. I, we had a couple of other angles, and it just reminded me that it is genuinely inside that restaurant that the they use for the outside setting as well. Because you and I dined there; it's an Italian restaurant in real mm-hmm. life. But the the decor is all exactly the same. It's so small, though; it's so cramped. Because, and I don't think this is a spoiler alert, but later in the series they will revamp the inside of the restaurant, and I can't help but feel that the real reason for that is so that they could just build a set that was big enough to fit all the camera crew and lighting and everything Mm -hmm. in. Because my memory of the restaurant from watching the show to the more recent series is that it's a, you know, a decent-sized restaurant on the inside. Like, small, but but decent. Sure. Whereas the one that we went to, I would say it fits, like, what, 20 people tops? It's so small. Yeah, absolutely. So we cut to uh, Pierre Godot's fashion house where uh, Brooklyn is checking out some dresses. And we're introduced to Pierre's nephew, Mathau Cadeau. Uh, he assumes she's Brooklyn. They get off to a bit of a rocky start with their ego flaring. Mathau explains that Pierre doesn't actually sign off on anything, that it's all his department. He's a little butthurt that Emily assumes she has business with Pierre, despite them never having met. Emily claps back with some snark, and Mathau agrees to give her a one-month trial, because everything Emily does always goes her way. It's infuriating. Right? This is like the first time that Emily shows any sass. Like mm-hmm. She never stands up for herself or anything like that. And she suddenly finds her guts and she's like, sorry, I thought he wanted to be relevant and sexy. And I'm like, whoa, where did this Emily come from? Where's this Emily when you're 
making points. That's an insane thing, especially if you have your master's in communication. You would know that that's not an appropriate thing to say to someone. It's so sassy. It's ridiculous. And it doesn't make sense to me that he would give them a one-month trial because he's literally just found out that his uncle has hired a marketing firm, which he, Mm -hmm. you know, should be run past him. He knows nothing about Emily. He knows nothing about Savoir. He didn't even know this deal had been made. Why would he just on the cuff be like, okay, we'll give you a one-month trial? That that would cost so much money. There'd be at least a moment where you're like, well, I have to sleep on this, have a thing. There's no way that would happen. And then he says, you have a one-month trial to create a social media presence for us. I'm sorry, am I supposed to believe that a haute couture fashion house that's had this legacy it's meant to be this it's meant to be on par with all these other huge brands i mean emily literally mentions celine as a you know as a comparison reference in it mm-hmm. am i supposed to believe that they have social media and no one you could just have an account with zero posts and it would still have hundreds of thousands of followers yes like there's no reason why they wouldn't already have a social media presence. Yep. And then he says he wants a memorable post of Brooklyn in Pierre's dress. Again, mm-hmm. I'm like, it wouldn't be hard to get a celebrity in a designer dress. And that's the bare minimum she could do. He, she says nothing t- <laughs> yeah. nothing tacky. Well, that's it. That's, that's it. If I had Enemy in Paris merch that mm-hmm. I wanted to get out there on social media, you know what I would do? I wouldn't give a one-month trial to a high-end <laughs> marketing company. Yeah, like, exactly. Okay, yeah, you've got to get a celebrity in our dress. I would just reach out to a celebrity's agent myself as the head of business affairs and say, yeah. hey, if we send you a dress, will your celebrity take a photo in it? Because yeah, that's exactly. how it works these days. We should know because this is meant to be a social media Yeah, shot. get mad, get mad. I'm so furious. I'm I know. so furious. <laughs> you can tell because I've started like combing my hair out of my face because I'm getting hot. Like I'm bothered. Yeah, you're getting livid over there. I'm so livid. So we cut to the Fortier event. Sylvie notices Brooklyn in the Pierre Cadeau uh, outfit and offers up a rare compliment saying how elegant she looks. Emily immediately blows it like a child would by trying to high five her. Well, before we go any further, guess what, Sam? What? I've got another location breakdown. Yay. Where are we? Where are we? Pew, 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 pew. We're at the Musée de uh, I went to say farts. Um, yeah, we're at the Musée de Farts. Oh, I did it again. We're, <laughs> we're at the Musée des Arts Foraines. Uh-huh. Which I, I'm so sorry, te- French teacher Michelle, I've definitely bollocks that up. Uh, it's a privately owned fairground art museum located in an old wine warehouse in the 12th arrondissement. And okay. it is open for pre book tours. Excellent. Sam, I've added it to the list. If you end up coming for Brussels Comic Con, I say that we do a little jaunty uh, voyage to I'm in to Paris, and we go to this place. I'm in. So then Antoine arrives, and Emily immediately makes it her problem. Again, this is this super frustrating character trait that I think is supposed to be likable about Emily, but a lot of things is super grating to regular people. Emily has no ability to go, not my problem. They're two adults. She immediately runs up and tells Sylvie, who's like, yeah, I'm a grown-up. We're f***ing. It's not a problem. Emily's especially infuriating this scene. Get out of other people's business. Yeah, she's particularly annoying in this one. And she... Also needs to sign a waiver for the two million euro. It's watch. four pages. Yeah, they make such a big point of it. Like mm-hmm. it's like the whole Chekhov's gun thing. Like as soon as it's so. I'm not familiar with that. Chekhov's gun is 
the idea that everything in a story should have purpose. Like in a play, if someone at the beginning of the play has a gun, they're like, oh, have a look at my gun, right? Mm -hmm. It's kind of like the rule of at some point the gun has to go off. Sure. Because yeah. you've shown the gun, so we know, yeah. Oh, so we're introducing this just for plot. Exactly. Okay, so, understand. So putting this waiver in here, it's immediately signposting, woo, woo, yeah, woo, yeah, yeah. like red alarm bells and stuff, like, oh, something's going to happen with this watch. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that tracks. So then Gabriel arrives at the party, and again, they do that thing, we're back to the old episodes where one person speaks and someone else is right next to them and just can't hear them. Brooklyn is like, hey, does he party? And Gabriel just smiles like he can't hear anything that's happening a foot in front of him. I will say that it makes sense that an American might assume that no one else there is speaking English or very good at English. I could see her being like, oh, he just doesn't understand. True, but that wouldn't explain him not responding. It's about Gabriel oh, yeah, not, right. not yeah. responding to it. No, you're so right. So Antoine's wife admits that Antoine's assistant accidentally copied her on an email and that Antoine is taking her to St. Bart's next weekend. This is, of course, the mistress trip that Sylvie and Anton were going on. Now, this is another one. Can no one read facial expressions? If, if I was Antoine's wife, I immediately would have gone, okay, so you yes. two are f***ing then. Sylvie storms away yep. and Emily really blows her cover by not even excusing herself. She just runs after Sylvie. Absolutely. Which already says, oh, she's upset. Like, you yes. wouldn't do that unless you're pointing out that out. I have so many thoughts about this as well. And mm -hmm. in fact, I realize that we've had conversations about this in the past, but due to time, it's been cut from previous episodes. But do not cut this, Sam, because this annoys me and it's happened again. It is another scene where mostly French people are there and they all speak English as if that's their chosen language, like their default language. Sure. It infuriates me every time it happens. Mm -hmm. And what's more annoying is Catherine, Antoine's wife, rocks up and she starts speaking English immediately. But aren't they doing that because they they know Emily doesn't speak French? She's never met Emily. She okay. doesn't know until Antoine's like, this is Emily. Okay, that's or, no, very actually, fair. Maybe they do reference that maybe she says we've met before very briefly, but I still refuse to believe. Even sure. at the dinner I was at the other night, the married couple still spoke French to each other quite a lot. Yes. And yeah, they yeah, were in the company tracks. of a German and, and a, an Australian and yeah. a Scotsman. Sure, that's right. So, yeah, I refuse to believe that they would just all be speaking English default. It uh, infuriates me. Those of you uh, who can't see the Zoom, Beck has pulled her hair back like a boxer would as getting ready to enter the ring. Yeah. So true. And I realized that that assistant, Antoine's assistant, is so getting fired. Yeah, he's done. Or she. Okay. Whoever they, it was. They are getting fired. Yes. Yeah. Do you know what, Sam? I think you do hate women. <laughs> oh, God, f*** you. I'm referencing one one review that we had that wasn't five stars. Yeah, one three-star review, which sends... Where they've only listened to the first episode and made yeah. some pretty broad assumptions. <laughs> Sylvie tells Emily she knows nothing, which is true. Sylvie gets in a car and drives away, uh, obviously upset. But then following her, Brooklyn pulls up behind her and says, Bonsoir, bucket hat. Holding yeah. a joint. She found weed. Good for her. Aw. Yeah, well done, Brooklyn. Bonsoir bucket hat, it's like up there with, we saw you eat the wall. Yeah. <laughs> or she's eating we, the decor. Eat the, eat the like, decor. Bonsoir bucket hat is, that's another like, I want that 
It's like Trey Nasty. I want it on a badge. It's funny. That's what you focused on because the very next scene is what I focused on as being very, very funny. They do this very funny, not on purpose. It's just bad writing thing. Gabriel goes, just call her driver. So Emily calls her driver. Her driver starts speaking French and he's talking very quickly. And she goes, ah, and hands the phone to Gabriel. And Gabriel does this thing where he goes, okay, boop, and just hangs up. He goes, yeah, I know where she is. Boop. And just hangs up the phone. He hears one second of the conversation and he knows exactly where they are, who it is, doesn't say goodbye to the person on the phone. It's such bad writing and it's perfect. Yeah, I wrote the same thing. I was like, I really hope that Sam picked up on this as well. Because she's like, he's speaking French to me when she hands Gabriel Mm -hmm. the phone. Like as if she's surprised that the French man in the French country is speaking French. Gabriel doesn't go, hi, this is Gabriel in French. Uh, Where are you headed? He doesn't speak any French. He just goes, "Uh uh-huh, okay, boop, and hangs up the phone and goes, I know where they're headed. As if this French is this secret language that's like can't be decoded. I don't know. Yeah, they're just telepathic, aren't they? They're just communicating through their minds. Yes, exactly. Okay, so they arrive at the club. Brooklyn is on Molly, and Gabriel is in full flirt mode. This is one of those scenes where I do side with Emily. She's trying to be good, but Gabriel sucks right now. Oh, my God. He says, well, you don't come to Paris to be good, and Emily kisses him, (gasps) which is rare. I'm on Emily's side. She's been plied with shots all night, and Gabriel is coming on strong. I can see why you're on Emily's side for this one. I absolutely agree. What I will say is, why didn't Emily, as soon as they found Brooklyn, get that watch off of her? Why is she? It's a two million euro watch. Yes. It's two million euros. And Emily knows that because she signed. She signed the waiver. Yeah. Yeah. That's why she's gone after Brooklyn to get the watch. Yep. Does she get the watch? No, she just then has some shots with her yes. and then lets her wander off to the bathroom. Yeah, Emily's what? very bad at her job. I hate TV shows and films where the protagonist makes a choice that is so illogical that literally no one would make it and it's clearly just in there because either it was overlooked, which is poor writing, or forced in there to help a narrative and either way... Oh, I'm just, yep. it, oh, it It makes me feel stressed. I yeah, felt there, so stressed. There should have been at least this. one line where she goes, can I get the watch? And Brooklyn goes, oh, bucket hat mm-hmm. and walks away or something like that. Exactly. That's all it needed, Sam. You've just fixed this mm-hmm. whole scene yep. in just one line. So Emily does realize her mistake, cuts the makeout short and looks at her phone and realizes she's got like 50 calls from 40A. Brooklyn never gave back the watch that Emily signed for. Again, this is so rare, but I'm on Emily's side here. I've absolutely been drunk and gotten an important work call and had to get it together. This sucks for her. I have, I do have sympathy. But Sam, in those moments, were you supposed to be working? No, no, I was not. Or have you had an important work call at, during your own personal time? Yes, this is during my time. Yes, this was not me. This was not me in charge of someone. And then I went out and did shots. Exactly. Yes. She's on the clock. Uh She's decided to do shots when she's supposed to be getting this watch back. Again, if this was a French film, there would be repercussions for her actions, but it's not. It's an American TV show. So we're going to wrap everything up nicely at the end. It's funny you mention this because one thing I will give Darren Starr for this, and this is Again, going back to the Sex and City thing, it's quite mm-hmm. he's quite good with themes and stuff like and tying all the themes in and stuff. This is a little representation of um, Emily saying like she likes films for the escapism element because yes. Brooklyn is very much lead, leaning into the American escapism thing. Mm-hmm. She's like, you know, we we come here to have fun. You know, yes. we're not home. This is when we can let loose. Yada yada. 
Whereas, uh, you know, Luke says earlier in his monologue, you you cannot escape life. Never. Yes. Never. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. can't escape life. And Emily is finding that she, she literally can't. It, Anytime she tries to escape it in this episode, life comes for her. Not as heavily as I think it should. And I was going to say, it, it doesn't in terms of the overall theme of the show. Life never comes for her. Yeah. Now, if anyone's feeling a bit weird by this scene, by the way, and you're like, what is wrong? Like, what is off? There's something off and I can't put my finger on it. It's because when they film scenes in clubs or basically anything that has music, they're filmed silently mm-hmm. because they need to get clear audio from the actors. And so if you've ever been on a set or seen something filmed or, or anything like that, you'll know that when they do these scenes, basically everyone is dancing to silence. Mm-hmm. All you can hear is the awkward shuffling of feet. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Like there's just silent dancing and while the actors say their lines. Have you ever seen the the people on youtube who take famous movie scenes and take the music out and just put like but then they foley like the the footwork and the the sounds that the actors make and stuff yeah it's great yeah the star wars one is really great yeah but that is actually very close to what it's like in real life it is hella awkward the thing is is that i would say some people are very good at selling those scenes regardless because Mm -hmm. they're actors and they understand what it is to dance in a rhythm and pretend they're listening to music when they're not neither Gabriel or Emily, neither of them can dance. Yes. Full stop. They are so awkwardly dancing in mm-hmm. this to like trap music. And they can't, they're not in time. They they do bad drunk acting. And by the way, we know it's trap music because uh, Brooklyn's character says, I love trap music for no reason. That's right. I was wondering how I knew it was trap music. You're right. Yeah. She says it. She literally yeah. says it. Of course. Because nothing's subtle in this show. Yep. But, <laughs> but they... Yeah, they've got bad drunk acting. It's so, ugh. Mm-hmm. ugh. Emily says she'll have Brooklyn call them and hangs up. Emily searches the bar. She comes across two people f***ing, and this time she's not pearl clutching and okay with it. There's no rhyme or reason to how we write Emily's prudeness. They realize mm-hmm. Brooklyn has left with the watch and ditched Emily. Emily starts to spiral, which is the correct response. Emily's freaking out over the Uber, and Gabriel says, cancel it. I have a better idea, and cuts to them on his moped, which means... He drove there, which means he let her call an Uber in the first place. Isn't he too drunk to drive? Why did he let her call an Uber in the first place? What is happening? What is happening? (laughs) This scene broke me. I've just written, wait, what? In capital letters. Mm -hmm. For all those reasons. Like, yes, he's definitely too drunk to drive. Because then she knows that they have a scooter. Because he took... They went to the club together. Yes, So she would surely know that he has a scooter. Does this mean that he just has a scooter nearby? Or did he steal one? I have no idea. It just means that means on the writer's board, they wrote Emily and Gabriel have a romantic scooter montage through Paris. And they just Mm -hmm. played that card. And just put that card down and said, let's do it right now. You know why I think it's in there? Why? Because it's very reminiscent of a scene Ratatouille. from Ratatouille. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the only reference point they have. Yep. They come yep. back to the hotel and they can't remember the name of Brooklyn's fake sign-in name. So they go to the bar. And Emily has this great line. She says, I'm the girl who shows up, not the girl who makes bad decisions, which you've been watching the show, is not true at all. She makes bad Mm-mm. decisions constantly. All the time. Yeah. And then... Gabriel's like, you haven't made bad decisions tonight. And I was like, yes, she has. Every decision she's made has been bad tonight. She didn't get the watch off her. She decided to drink. She then lost the person. Why hasn't she called Sylvie? 
Like at this stage, when you're this far in, you've signed a waiver for your company. Like if if anything has happened to that watch, and she knows how flight of fancy the Brooklyn is. She knows what Brooklyn's like. So chances are that watch could be long gone by now. It could have been traded, lost, fallen off, stolen, sold, whatever. Which again, would have been a great, how great would it be if that's how the episode ended? Mm-hmm. Like a French ending. And they use the name of the title and it just ends with Emily getting fired and she owes $48, $2 yeah. million dollars yeah. that she signed for it. Exactly. If I was in her shoes, if I'd made all those mistakes and then I was in that position, you know what I would do? I would suck it up and I'd go, I have to call my boss. I have to tell them I've made a huge mistake and I need their help because there's a two million euro watch on the line. And speaking of her boss and much like the moped, so Emily's cell phone vibrate. It's Sylvie. She's been looped into the watch conversation now. Emily says she's handling it and Sylvie says, yeah, I can see how you're handling it. And we look up and we realize Sylvie's in the doorframe. Is she staying at the hotel? I don't know. She's still in her dress. She does say she was called at 2 a.m. Uh, I guess we can. Uh-huh. I assumed that she went home and has come back out. Uh, okay, and it's late, and she's just okay. But she, how would she know? Because to go her first there, thing though? is when they're like, or she just there's the watches. Oh, just go yeah, to where exactly. Brooklyn she's is. She's gonna go straight there. Yeah. She doesn't trust Emily. She's not. She she's like, of course Emily is screwed up because I don't trust her as far as I can throw her. Yes, but the fact that yeah. the fact that. Emily never owed up to Sylvie and said, like, I need your help. I've stuffed up. And then lied to her. Was like, I've got it under control. And is in the Mm -hmm. bar having a drink with who Sylvie believes to be her boyfriend. Yes, which is a a fireable offense. So fireable. Which is a fireable offense. right then and there. Right then and there. That should be the French ending. Mm-hmm. It should have, it sh- there should have been a conversation where Sylvie goes, uh, we're going to get the watch back. You're done here. We're going to we get the watch back. Charges, then we'll talk. But, but done. you're done. Yes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So the two of them go back to the front desk. Sylvie pulls a power play and says, a girl could be dead. Not just any girl. A famous American girl with 14 million Instagram followers. If it's correct, you'll have a PR nightmare on your hands. Not just the hotel's hands. Your hands. I, I thought that was an interesting choice for 14 million Instagram followers. I was like, where did this come from? So again, I did a little bit of deep diving and found out that in 2019, roughly when this episode was probably written, Lily Collins had just over 14 million Instagram followers. So I, I genuinely think when they wrote this episode, they just looked at her following and went, okay, we'll base it off of her. Yeah. So then the hotel douche lets them into the hotel room. It's torn apart. Classic party scene. Brooklyn's in bed with a stranger who's speaking another language. Brooklyn does have a funny line here. She goes, can you be quiet? Your voice is crazy, which is a great way to show that's how Americans perceive other people. Yeah, Sam, that is literally how you talk to me. (laughs) Emily, again, takes an, without asking for permission, takes a shot of the dress on the ground surrounded by alcohol bottles and cigarettes. Brooklyn says, hey, don't post my tits, just assuming that's what Emily has taken a photo of and calls Emily Bucket Hat. And Emily stands up for herself and says, stop calling me Bucket Hat. Brooklyn apologizes and says she's forgotten Emily. Yeah, yeah. So we cut to the elevator ride down. We have the watch. Everything's under control. Emily lavishes Sylvie with compliments about how she handled the front desk clerk. She's a total badass. She's not taking anyone's shit. And this would be the line where Sylvie goes, mm-hmm. let me stop you there. We're not friends. Uh-huh. We're not coworkers. Yep. You're fired. She should have gone, we'll talk tomorrow with the HR department. Yeah, that, that should have been that scene. And Emily then again crosses the line even further and asks, are you truly happy with him? 
And Sylvie bites on it and replies, do you really believe most people are happy all the time? Of course you do. And we see this childlike state of Emily once again earlier when they were discussing romantic comedies. It's a very telling piece about Emily. She wants everyone to be happy, not just wants, but she seems to not be able to handle it when everything isn't okay around her. She's very stunted, and I hope we see a future scene explaining what happened to her in her youth that explains her ending up this way. Wow, I feel so red. Yeah, that's you. I'm going to take all of this to my therapist. Emily says to Sylvie, you can have 100% of anyone. And Sylvie says she doesn't want to have 100% of anyone, Mm -hmm. nor does she want anyone to have 100% of her. And then she says, even if you're committed or married, that never happens anyway. It's a fairy tale, a bad movie. Uh, Emily believes in happy endings. Sam, you're single. You've never been married. What do you believe? I got to admit, I'm a bit of an American sucker for a happy ending. Like the massage type? I believe in soulmates and the whole thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, I believe I believe there's someone for everyone out there and the whole white knight thing. Sure. I yeah, believe that. That surprises me. I believe it's a lot more difficult than people make it seem and it's a lot more communication and compromise, but I believe mm, it's feasible. Yeah. It's interesting. I don't know if I believe in happy endings. Well, you're married. Well, yeah, and all marriages end in either divorce or death. Neither of those mm-hmm. are happy things. Shut up. But I do I I believe in happy middles. I think a, I think a happy middle is realistic. Like we see something as successful if it, like society deems something successful if it continues. But like look at yeah. the original series of The Office, like the UK one, because that's mm-hmm. there's only 14 episodes of that, and it's classed as one of Britain's mm-hmm. most successful TV shows. It like we got the US office from it. There's multiple spin-offs. There's an Australian one that's coming out this year that my friend plays the Michael Scott uh, David Brent like character in. Um Yep. It, that's huge, but it, but it only had 14 episodes and it's so successful, but it was it was short-lived. It was short-lived. So Yeah. Yeah. I think I think happy middles are a thing. I think something can be can be successful and and a happy middle. I understand that. With Sylvie sees Gabriel waiting outside and says, I see why you believe in fairy tales, which is a cute line. Emily says they're not dating, and Sylvie says, Good night, princess, and walks away, teasing her. <laughs> Gabriel offers to take Emily to get crepes, and Emily stands up for herself despite having kissed him like three hours ago. And she says she's not someone who can share a crepe. She needs the whole crepe. Then tells Gabriel they shouldn't see each other. Gabriel, again, Gabriel sucks. He just plays dumb. It's another example of him sucking and not taking accountability. And he's like, Oh, I was just offering you a ride home, which sucks. That's a shitty response. What I will say, and you're right, you're dead right. I'm with you. 100% on this. I just want to add why doesn't Emily at any point bring up Camille? Why at no point does she yeah. say, Yeah, what about Camille though? Like, you're I, dating our or friend. Like, I yeah. shouldn't have, we, we shouldn't have kissed. Camille's my friend. Yeah. She's your long term girlfriend. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do this. Why doesn't she ever say that at any point? Because this isn't the French ending. <sighs> I know. This is the American version. She just never asks him what the deal is. She just assumes that. He wants her to be his mistress. Yep. And then she gets into a cab, which is perfectly waiting there for her, by the way, which is a perfect bad writing. I have thoughts about this. She's like, I can get myself home. They live in the same apartment block. Yeah, you could still share a cab. But he's got his little scooter, which, again, we've never seen Mm -hmm. up until this episode. We didn't know about this. Yeah. So what's going to happen? Is they going to do that weird, awkward race home thing? They're just going to... They're just going to yeah. arrive home at the exact same time. At each stoplight, are going to pull up next to each other and do that kind of smile, smirk, how you doing, that Joey yes. Tribbiani, how you doing thing. Yeah. Yeah, 
it's like the same thing as like when you say goodbye to someone <laughs> and then you walk the same direction and you're like, oh, this is awkward. Yep. They're just exactly. going to do that. But you walked for six miles the same it's direction. It's going to be super awkward. It's going to cost her money. It's using petrol. It's a waste mm-hmm. of petrol. Think about the climate, Emily. Think about the climate. Yeah. <laughs> this is the reason that we're, you're the reason for, for global warming, Emily. You and your stupid decisions. For those of you at home, Beck has put on boxing gloves that she's lacing up yeah. now and is doing jumping ropes on the side of the ring. <laughs> yeah, there's some, my, my coach is behind me with a towel on my shoulders rubbing them. Yeah. I'm just spamming in the bucket. Yeah. Yeah. So we cut to the final scene. We cut back to the office. Yeah. So they're at the office. Jillian's impressed by the, the Pierre Cadeau post. It's got almost 200,000 mm, likes. Uh, right. First of all, the actress isn't even in the dress. Like, the actress isn't nope. <laughs> a part of the post. It's, the, it's, it's the, the dress on the ground. It's the picture she took without asking for. Yeah, yeah. she took a picture without asking, asking if she could. And Matthias, the one thing he asked for was nothing cliche. And that's about as cliche as it gets. Yeah, it's super cliche. And then he's like, I want a memorable post of Brooklyn in Pierre's dress. So that that's not what it mm-hmm. is. It's not that. Nope. But before Matthew DMs her and says, like, well done, Emily asks Jillian, mm-hmm. do you think it's too risque? And it's like, well, Emily, if you thought it was too risque, why did you post it onto a major client's Instagram account before asking? Because you were drunk. Because she was drunk. Yeah. She was Again, posting But another drunk, fireable offense. Which is a fireable you offense. You should be yep. running these things yep. past... That's what you have to do. Like, I, I sometimes get asked very occasionally to post things on behalf of, like, charities or companies or whatever. And when that happens, they usually send you, like, approved copy to put in the description because, you know, they don't want anything mm-hmm. that's going to be off-brand or whatever. I, I just... Yeah. Everything. Every, I loved this episode, by the way. It made me so mad, but I really enjoyed all the different locations. And I, I thought most okay. of the fashion, except for the bucket hat, was actually gorgeous. I actually really enjoyed this episode, but it does make me very angry as well. And I find that very confusing. But what I wanted mm-hmm. what I wanted to do was a little call to action, right? Obviously, the photo that Emily takes is of the dress on the floor with the shoes. And then there's like cigarette butts and booze. And alcohol yeah. bottles, yeah. Uh, I think at some point in this next week, we need to each post uh, something with a description about last night. And it's like, our outfits on the floor surrounded by whatever it is that defines us. Absolutely. Sweatpants covered in Jolly Rancher gummies. Yeah. 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 That's me, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I want you guys to do this as well. Everyone listening, uh, I want you to post the same. You can either do it as a post or in your stories. Tag Enemy in Paris. We'll repost them. I want to see everyone's about last night pictures. Yeah, I love that. That's great. So then uh, Emily says that Sylvie's, since Sylvie's trip was canceled, they should have a girl's trip. Sylvie tells Emily to get out of her office, and Emily says, yeah, I didn't think so. Just forcing a friendship that isn't there. That's how the show ends. I loved it. I thought it was proper sitcom style. Yeah, again, but it's a very American. It's, yes. Yeah, it's very yes, American, yes, yes. but I did. I, I actually really enjoyed it. <laughs> but okay. then, then again, I'm Emily. Yes, you are. And that's the episode. That's it. That's episode seven. We have three more for this season. Do we hear from any listeners this week? We did. We had a lot of people still responding about the gallon of milk thing. Oh, God. I had to turn comments off on that video because it's over half a million views now. And the comments were just 
destroying my notifications on Instagram. Yeah, and people can't be nice. Yeah, people are horrible. Um, but I really appreciate all the listeners who got in touch to point out that in Canada and some other countries, it's a, you get a large amount of milk and it comes in bags. That's right. I'm fine yeah. with that. My issue isn't the amount of milk or even necessarily the receptacle. It was just the fact that <laughs> it's got like the same sized spout as like a normal bottle of milk for the UK or Australia. And like the average size handle, but it's just, it's, it's a unit. It's an absolute unit of a bottle. And that, that just made me laugh. Yeah. I just really tickled me. Uh, but I did, I did appreciate all the photos of bags of milk that people sent. <laughs> <laughs> we also got some poll results because in the last episode, okay. I ran a poll asking if Emily's bag charm was Ringard. Oh, that's right. How was, what was the Between response? Spotify and Instagram, the result was pretty much across the board, 85%. Ringard and 15% not Ringard. Boo. Are you booing because you think that the bag charm's all right? Yes, I am. I like a bag charm. Actually, I think maybe that might be something that we need to do for merch. Bag charms. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We also asked on Spotify of the last episode, uh, what's the weirdest reason you've chose not to sleep with someone? My favorite yes. answers were from Andrew Reid, who said, okay. kind of nitpicky, but I'll die on a hill to defend it. I'm a fan of the Percy Jackson books. And so was this girl I was talking to. She said she liked the movie more than the books, and I blocked her. <laughs> <laughs> no, I got to admit, I'm on his side. Anytime anyone has a very small thing that they'll take to the grave is always very it's funny. It's great. Summoning Tofu also said, I didn't sleep with a guy because as we were leaving the bar, he did a little skip in his walk. <laughs> and then they just wrote, ick, and then, pa'un meme. Not a oh, meme. Oh, God, yeah. And we got some messages. Kyle says, hi, Sam and Beck. Hi, Kyle. Love the pod. Love the chemistry between you two. Loathe Emily. Love listening to you both. All correct, Kyle. Hey. Thank you. Technical pod question. How many times do you watch each episode to make your notes? I too heard about this pod through Office Ladies, and they mentioned that they watched two to three times to make sure e they caught everything. I can't imagine you can watch each episode three times, and then in brackets, cruel and unusual punishment, but would love to know more about your process. Oh, Kyle. <laughs> Oh, buddy, I would say this is probably my fifth time yeah. watching all the entire series. Oh, I'm obsessed with it. I hate it so much. It occupies such a large portion of my brain. So much. If you, if there was like one of those anatomy diagrams of your brain where it says like the hippocampus and like all the different areas, yeah. you've just got like a yeah, massive yeah, yeah. frontal lobe that just says Emily in Paris. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this episode I watched three times. I think I watched the last one four times. It's horrible. Yeah. I hate it. I hate it so much. It's mm -hmm. become actual homework now. <laughs> but I also love... Yeah, I've, it's, it's not I fun. I enjoy yeah. this, though. I enjoy this these chats. Yeah, this is, makes it worthwhile. Yeah. Kira-chan. Hi, Kira-chan. Says, hey, just listened to the first episode and a couple of inputs from the perspective of a Frenchie. In France, taking photos of strangers without permission and posting it is not a social faux pas. It is actually illegal under French privacy law. <laughs> oh, I thought it was going to yep, go the other yeah. way. Oh, I love that. Good, good, good. <laughs> yes, get her ass. Yes. Kira-chan also says, it would be nice if you invited French comedians or other French people to come on the show. I think you could really benefit from having an actual French perspective. Hmm. I think you're missing some of the cultural and linguistic details as to why the show is so insulting to the French. Oh, that's very true. We were just discussing before we recorded this that uh, later on um, in the series, we might start getting some guests on 
So, uh, yeah, we'll mm-hmm. bear that in mind because I actually do know a few French comedians who I'm sure would would love to to come on. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I would love that. I don't want to miss the chance to point out anything offensive that the show is doing. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure it's all documented, yep. every transgression. M.M. got in touch. Hi, M.M. They said, I love the podcast so much. It elevates this show. <laughs> Into something much more fun. <laughs> Please see attached sure. one of the most outrageous merch collabs of all time. Sam, I'm just going to send you a photo. What am I looking at here? Are those cookies? That, my friend, is co-branded teas. Oh, gross. Yeah, it's, and the picture they've used is so unflattering of her. It's horrible, isn't it? Yeah. They Oh, they use one of her big dupey hats in it. Oh, too. yeah. I mean, the, the hats on her are so much, it's impossible to get photos of her without hats. Yeah, it's uh, Emily in Paris crossover with, I think, Vadam. Am I pronouncing that right? Vadam teas. And it's, yeah, all different flavored tea in little tins. Again, I'll put this on socials. And then MM said, I'm sure the pod will have superior co-branded teas when you drop merch. Teas and teas. They've written T-E-A-S and then T-E-E-S. That's right. What would a, what would a ours be? It'd be like a Mountain Dew flavor or something purely American, something that's American flag, eagle flavored. For Enemy in Paris? Yeah. Super American tea. American tea would just be like Coke. It'd have 10 times the amount of caffeine. I'll do a poll for this week on Spotify and probably on Instagram as well. Just if Just asking if people want merch. I have some ideas, but I'm not going to spend time on it if people don't want it. So Sure. If we sold merch, would you buy merch? That's the question. Not do you want merch? I'm not going to send you free merch. But if you would buy merch, let us know. I'll put a poll in the Spotify. I want to give thanks to Rebecca Fortune for giving us a nice little write-up on her website. Oh, hi, Rebecca. Thank you. We also heard from Elizabeth. Hi, Elizabeth. Who said, I was in Paris last week and was staying in Montmartre. It happened to snow last Thursday, and I counted 14 joggers on my 10-minute walk to the Lamarck Metro stop. What the what? (laughs) Is this Emily's fault? First of all, it's super hilly. And then add ice slash snow. I laughed every time I saw another one thinking of your podcast. (laughs) Padrina wrote in. Hi, Padrina. And said, I just listened to three episodes in a row. Y'all so funny. Admittedly, I don't know the ins and outs of podcasts, but could y'all do this live so we can watch and pause Emily in Paris as y'all tear it apart? (laughs) Um, hmm, maybe on Patreon. Yeah, that could be a good Patreon thing. Although I would say that <laughs> I have to pause it so much yeah. to write notes and to to gather my thoughts. It would be infuriating to watch the show this way. Yeah, I, I don't think it's as cute and funny. It wouldn't be like Mystery Science Theater 3000 where we're just making funny comments about it. It's just um, me pausing and going, yeah, and then writing feverishly and then hitting play and then me going, in writing feverishly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, maybe we should maybe we should watch something else that doesn't need notes and we'll just talk over it as a bonus content thing on Patreon or something. There's some making of. Sure. There's like some 6-minute ma- like behind the scene Emily in Paris things, which I think we oh, could excellent. very easily just that. do some commentary for if people want it. <laughs> Padrina also says, yep. "My friend Heather likes the show. I told her it sucks and shared your podcast with her. If she doesn't listen to me, maybe she'll listen to Enemy in Paris." <laughs> Good, get her. Yeah, thank you to everyone who tells other people to listen to this show because at the moment, I don't know if I've mentioned it enough, but we're, you know, we don't have ads. We're not doing anything like that. We're just doing this um, purely for an outlet for our rage and an excuse for Sam and I to hang out once a week. Mm -hmm. 
but it is taking up a lot of our time. And so it's really nice when we see the numbers rising each week and more and more people are tuning in. It makes us feel like it's yeah, worth it. Yeah, that does it. feel very good. Yeah, so please keep telling mm-hmm. people because as long as it keeps growing, then it feels like it's worth it. Priam. Hi, Priam. Says, guys, I've been to Paris too and I have to ask, how does Emily not feel the cold in her legs? Mm-hmm. I went in February once for a work trip and my colleague had packed some skirts to be Parisian chic. And she had to go to Zara and buy wool work pants because the skirts were not an option. This was pre-Emily, but still, yeah. it was cold. When you have Emily's can-do spirit burning inside <laughs> you, it keeps you warm. I will say that these episodes aren't filmed in winter. You sure. know, the the spring and the summer in France and, you know, the UK and stuff is very pleasant. It's very nice. So I don't think at the moment that's wrong, but I did realize that we never really get any of the cold weather in, in Emily in Paris. Yeah. And I hate when shows do that. I hate when shows make things, make places look nicer than they are because everyone's all dressed in, you know, warm weather attire. That's why I kept going on about the weather when I was in LA because I was just like, oh, actually, this is, this is actually what I really wanted. Yeah, you were blown away by it. Yeah, because, because I was expecting, I'm so used to being lied to. I'm so used to showing up to places and being like, this is not as warm as I thought it would be from television. So, um. Yeah, it was, uh, it's very annoying. If you want to see, at first I thought maybe it's so that they can show off the designer clothes, but that's not even true because you can get very good stylish designer clothes for winter. You and I absolutely binge watched Real Housewives of Salt Lake City and they bloody love a designer Mm -hmm. ski suit. Yeah, there's some outfits on there that are incredible. Jen Shaw all day. (laughs) Yeah. Hashtag free Jen Shaw. Don't. She's a horrible person. No, no, no. She deserves to be locked up. But when she's free, I want her on the yeah, show. Yeah, absolutely. That's my first guess. <laughs> For no reason. It's not like she has any connection with Emily in Paris. But, you know, we need an excuse to talk to her. And we're on to some five-star reviews. Hey, hey, hey. thank you, guys. So, uh, Jenny. Hi, Jenny. Says, you make it fun to hate her. <laughs> love the podcast and love the different perspectives from both of you. And yes, Sam's purr as well. <laughs> Thank you. I've had Emily in Paris in my Netflix queue for a while, and you've both now given me reason to hate watch it. Part of the reason the show caught my attention is that I've been learning French on Duolingo for the past three years. One tip that might help you guys with pronunciation is you don't pronounce the last letter of a French word unless the next word starts with a vowel or an H, which is sometimes silent in French. So, for instance, huh. pas de problème is said more like pas de problème. That's also why the French folks on the show pronounce Savoir as Savoir without the R at the end. Hope that's helpful and keep up the outstanding work. That is helpful, Jenny. And I did take some of that into account trying to pronounce the words in this episode. We'll see what French teacher Michelle says (laughs) later. I did not. (laughs) Also want to thank for five stars, uh, Crunchy Bear. Hi, Crunchy Bear. He says, love it. We also had Jenna. Hi, Jenna. He says, justice for Mindy's sex jokes. That's right, our little Trey Nasty queen. We also had another five-star review that says, Better and better every week. So fun. Ironically, I want to try watching again because of this podcast, but I'm taking a break from Netflix, so it will have to wait. No worries. It's more fun to listen to you guys. I'd melt if Sam said, Hi, Carrie. Hi, Carrie. There you go. I left that for the end so that you'd you'd have a little... Something to look forward to, Carrie. Okay, thank you. Uh, Lutan Ninja. Hi, Lutan Ninja. I think Ninja. I'm pronouncing that right. Some of these names that people use on Apple Podcasts is, uh, are a little strange. <laughs> says, Netflix should pay yeah. you. 
I agree. <laughs> they said, I cancelled yes. my Netflix account years ago. I signed up again just to watch Emily in Paris and follow along with you. You're so funny. This podcast should be the official watch along Emily in Paris podcast. You know, when you watch a TV show, it says, stay tuned at the end for the podcast that explains we, it should be this podcast. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Can you imagine? I don't think I don't think those people would be ready for it. I like that people come to us oh, for, no. for the truth. There should be yeah. an official one. And then we should be like the cool kids at the back of the bus who are like, yeah, we're rebels. Smoking cigarettes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah about last night. Yeah. Surrounded in booze, yeah. booze bottles. <laughs> I'm on Molly listening to trap music. <laughs> Kissing Gabriel and drunk riding my moped that I may have just stolen on the spot. Yeah, yeah exactly. The French ending for that would have been Gabrielle having a horrible drink driving accident. DUI? Like proper, the two of them just getting flattened by a semi-trailer. It cuts to the two of them side by side in hospital beds. Both are paraplegic using straws to communicate. Yeah, and uh, Gabriel would be fine because he he's a telepathic. So he'd be talking to all the doctors and nurses without actually saying anything. Yep. Because as we've learned, he doesn't need to say anything to understand what people mean. That's right. Finally, uh, we had Grace Hates Emily. Hi, Grace Hates he Emily. He said, Sam is responsible for my decrease in intelligence. <laughs> Beck and Sam have taken the good criticism good. from other reviews and made the podcast more informative as well as continue to highlight the inconsistencies, problematic themes, and I love Sam and Beck's chemistry. I just want to encourage you both. I noticed how much time Beck spent on the sixth episode. Thank you, Grace. And while you may not be getting paid yet, it will come. Keep doing what you're doing. We yes. appreciate you guys. Wonderful. On that note. Thank you for that. As I mentioned previously, we have a Patreon page. Yeah, that's incredible, by the way. Thank you for setting that up. You're a great producer. Oh, thanks. Um, you know what they say, those who can't do produce, <laughs> and then they have to do mm -hmm. as well. That's what they say. <laughs> so the Patreon page is patreon.com forward slash enemy in Paris. I've set it up. There's a couple of different tiers depending on what you're after. Um, we haven't officially said what you get in return, there will be some form of bonus content. There will be some form of goodies, but we're also opening it up to you, our listeners, to let us know what you would like in return. But I also didn't want to keep holding off from people who might just want to give us some money for our time <laughs> and sure. to keep this ad free as well, because it's quite nice having a show without ads. And yeah. uh, if you can't, support us that's totally understandable and totally fine if you could just let people know tell people to listen to the show give us five stars on apple podcasts give us five stars on spotify or wherever you listen to it and don't forget to s subscribe as well uh, wherever you are um, whether it's hitting a little notification bell or subscribing or whatever just so that you do, don't miss any future episodes mm -hmm. join us next week for episode eight we're only two away from closing this season out episode eight family affair Ooh, gross. Sounds yeah. incestuous. <laughs> I'm sure Luke's thrilled with it. Yeah, no, he'd love it. This show is hosted by us, Beck Hill. Sam Kiefer. It's edited by Sam Kiefer. It's true. It's produced by Beck Hill. That's right. The theme tune is by Frankie Lowe. And it's a good one. Mm, it's a great theme tune. And it's listened to by you. The most important person. Absolutely. And we love you. We love you. We hate Emily. We hate Emily. Bye. Au revoir. Bonsoir, bucket hats. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>